Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, Ocean Hills. Good morning, online community. I always want to remember we have people that are part of this God family that uh, aren't here in person, but they are with us uh, and watching. So good morning, everybody. Hey, um, this morning, I'm so glad I'm not running 26 miles that I get to be here this morning. (laughs) How about, can I get an amen? (laughs) L-O-V-E, love, love. This is a word we, we love. This is a word we throw around. This is a word, what does it mean? How do you define love? Who's your role model for love? Who was your role model, your example growing up? Uh, Was it a parent, a grandparent? Was it a teacher, a mentor, a big brother, an older sister? How have you come to explain love? How have you come to experience love? And what, what, what is real love? Is it when I'm under the influence of my obsession with, and you fill in the blank, McConnell's salted caramel. I love McConnell's salted caramel. Is that love? Or is it this uh, Jewish Hebrew word, beshert, which means destiny? It means soulmate, it means the only one that you could possibly, there's only one person for you on the planet. And when you find that person, that's what true and real love is. When, another way to ask it, when have you and when do you feel most loved? 30 years ago, I look back on my life, 63 years old, I look back on my life and there is really a handful of moments when I go, oh my gosh, I I really felt so loved. I'm gonna tell you one of them right now. 1993, I had this obsession with the Los Angeles Kings hockey team. And uh, there was a kid in my youth group at Montecito Covenant, Tommy Anderson, And Tommy and I were getting together for every game watching it. We were so into it. And Gretzky was on the team, and they just kept winning. And they went from the first series to the second, and Tommy and I were getting together. And so now we're in the Stanley Cup finals. They're playing the Montreal Canadiens. And 1993, Natalie and I go to Santa Barbara Roasting Company. It's our day off. And we're talking, and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous to ask her. It's our date night. And, and I say, honey, w- would it be okay if we don't do a date tonight and that Tommy and I watch the game together? <laughs> would that be okay? And sh- she said, that's fine if you want to do that. <laughs> or... Or 
She reaches into her purse and pulls out two tickets and says, you can join me and we can go in person. <laughs> I, are you kidding? Where'd you get those tickets? How did you get those tickets? And she says, I'd love to have you join me. You want to go down to L.A.? And, <laughs> and I never forgot how loved I felt that my wife knew this and sacrifice, I mean, gosh, 1993, what were we making? $29,000 a year as the youth pastor. And you were working at PS Limited, making seven bucks an hour, and you figured out a way to get these tickets for us. How do you, how do you experience, feel, explain this idea of love? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, there's this really powerful verse, and it's really talking about how God has set his love on us and chosen us. He set his love on us, and he chose us. It was a deliberate choice to love. And so that begs the question, is love a verb? Or is it a noun? Is it an action word? Is it a choice? Is it a decision? Is it just the goosebumps? I've never felt this way before. And this morning we're in this series and we're walking through the snapshots in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, John chapter 13. This story, it is so stinking simple. And yet so deep, so profound, so in some ways mysterious, so simple. You know it. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. In fact, four times in these 17 verses, washes or wash the disciples' feet, are, are, it's mentioned. And what I love about this story is maybe of all the stories in the Gospel of John, we get a peek we get a peek into the very heart of God. We get a, a front row seat into love and what love looks like. And that's why we've called today's sermon Love Wows. The disciples are experience a wow moment. You know what a wow moment is, right? It's like whatever it is, when I used to do weddings at the Biltmore, they created wow moments. They go, that's our goal. We want to create a moment where the bride and groom at some point on their wedding day go, wow. And they would put a photo from their ceremony two hours earlier in their room. You know, when they went back to the room, that was the wow moment at the Biltmore. Wow. And Jesus creates a wow moment right here. It's a shocking object lesson for those disciples. And it would stay with them forever. And now we get to look at the roadmap for living and loving like Jesus. But, but before we jump to, okay, this is how I'm supposed to live and love, it's not going to make any sense until you receive. He's setting the example for us. He's loving us this way. And so before we run ahead and go, okay, this is how I'm supposed to live this week, first, I want you to, your, 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 your filter to be, 
received. This is what Jesus does, not just for those 12, but this is his message. This is his life. This is his love for you. And so here are a few reflections on this passage in John chapter 13, the roadmap to living and loving like Jesus. Real love looks like choosing sacrifice. Look at verse 1 of John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And now he loved them to the very end. The Passover. It's interesting that John mentions that. What is the Passover? You go back to Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's that monumental. I mean, it's the center of the Old Testament story. It's that, cell, that, that, that moment when God delivered his people from slavery, from Egypt, when the sacrificial animal, lamb, goat, the blood was put on the doorpost, and then God passed over and rescued them. And now that becomes the foreshadowing, right? Jesus, the Passover lamb, who would take away the sins of the world. Look at John, not John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I think it's on the screen. God showed how much he loved us. Pause. I wonder how he did that. That begs the question. How did he do it? Next phrase. By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Hello? Warning, flashlights, neon lights. He's telling us, what's, what is real love? You want to know? Here we go. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a what? Sacrifice to take away our sins. Jesus doesn't love like us. When I'm betrayed... My love turns off, it grows cold, and so does yours. When my friends abandon me, my love grows cold and turns off. When people desert me, my, but not Jesus. That's, that's not what we read in the Gospel of John. His closest friends would desert him and abandon him and betray him, and he loved them to the end sacrifice thinking more about others than thinking about myself he loved them to the very end here's my question where might god be calling you to love in this way right now real time in your life where is god calling you to choose to sacrifice at home at work, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in this church. Maybe right now there's, there's, there's a way you're thinking, and, and if you're not, God, 
That's your prayer. God, show me where you want me to take that step of sacrifice. I go without so that somebody else can have a better life, so that somebody else can have a better day. I am going to, it's going to cost me so that my kids, my friends, my spouse, my coworkers, whatever it is, that's sacrifice. The second is real love looks like choosing humility. Uh, I'm in this Lenten guys group that I'm doing for seven weeks. We meet up at the old mission at 5.50 a.m. on Friday mornings, and it's dark, and you sit in silence or stand in silence until the bells ring at 6 a.m. And at 6 a.m., we, we, everybody brings a beach chair, and there's like nine of us, and, and we sit in a circle, and we do Lectio, that practice of prayerfully listening to God speak to us through the scriptures. And the passage we do every, and it's Friday morning, every Friday is the passage that I'm teaching on here on Sunday. And usually by Friday morning, the message has been written, it's already printed out, and I'm not looking for these guys to write my sermon for me, I'm, you know. But we're learning from each other, and it's like, oh my gosh. And there was an insight on Friday morning that I added to my notes this and it was my friend Jeff, and he said this. In verses four and five, he said, this is what spoke to me. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. So he got up and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And Jeff said, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, if I had power and authority over everything and everyone, what would I do with that authority? What would I do with that power? Would I serve these knucklehead disciples? <laughs> would I get up and wash their feet? Do you think Jesus felt like washing those disgusting, dirty feet of his disciples? Like, you think that, like, he felt like doing that? Like, ah, never felt this way before. All the authority given to him. Why didn't he just make them wash each other's feet? That's probably what I would have done. Like, all right, um, you guys just figure that out. And then come and meet me at the table and we'll have dinner together. But he has all this authority, all this power. He can do whatever he wants and he gets up and he washes their stinking feet. Who does that? Who chooses that? Humility. Not power, not pride, not ego, not self-importance, not I'm the man, not... I, I don't do that, not, I'm too good for that, not, uh. And that's the character of the kingdom. That's the character in the heart of our Savior, Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 reminds us, in case that you and I have forgotten, 
that he was fully God, but also fully human. In Philippians 2, we read this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be what? Humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Huh, I wonder what that attitude was. Well, he tells us, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, Here's the choice. Again, he humbled himself. In obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. Humility. Choosing humility is an act of love. Giving up my rights, my privileges, my position. I like how Rick Warren defines humility. It's a, it's a common definition. I've, I've loved this over the years. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but what? Thinking of yourself less. Thinking of yourself. It's not going, I suck. I, I'm, I'm bad at this. I, no, no, no. It's quit thinking about yourself and think about others more. And so... Where in your life might God be calling you today to choose humility? Is there a relationship at work, in your dorm room, your roommates at home, where the Spirit of God right now is saying, I've been kind of imposing my will, I've been powered up, I'm kind of the dictator at work, at home, in my neighborhood, I'm, I'm the one that's lived on my street the longest, so I tell people what they can and can't do, where might the Lord be saying, choose humility. Become more like Jesus by making that choice. Here's the next reflection. Real love looks like choosing to forgive. You say, what? That's not in this passage. Where? where? Show me in the word of God where Jesus forgives him in John 13. Well, I can't, but I kind of can I want you to think about this. Verse 11 and 12, for Jesus knew who would betray him when he said, not all of you are clean. Pause. He knew who would betray him. And by the way, he knew who would desert him. Judas would betray him and the other 11 would desert him and abandon him. And then the next four words. After washing their feet. If I knew you were going to betray me tomorrow, I'm not washing your feet, Russ. <laughs> and you're not washing mine. I know it. <laughs> but love, love, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And we get this glimpse into the heart of Jesus. He knew Jesus or Judas was going to betray him and all the others would abandon him that he was eating with and still he 
washes their feet. That's wow. 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 Who, who does that? I mean, the disciples are thinking only about themselves. Judas is thinking about the silver. The other 11 are thinking about their safety. But Jesus never stops thinking about who? Them, not himself. Look what Jesus was up. He's about to go to the cross. He's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about them. And, you know, forgiveness isn't, doesn't mean I have to say it out loud. Even if I know you're going to abandon me tomorrow, I don't have to say, well, I forgive you. Or, you know, it's in my heart. That spiritual work is in my heart. I can't serve you unless I'm doing some deep work of forgiveness in my heart. And I see in the person of Jesus that he's choosing to forgive these knuckleheads before they, he knows that they're going to betray him and abandon him and desert him, and yet he still serves them. Matthew 18, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus says, but 70 times seven. What? Yeah. So my question is, where in your life do you have a relationship strain, an ouch, a hurt? Who in your life is, you're saying, we've had this misunderstanding, we've stopped talking, they're giving me the silent treatment, I notice they're, they've distanced themselves from me. Where, where maybe do you need to say, I, I, I got to, I got to set my own soul free. Holding a grudge against someone, not, not setting you free. Not a power contest. It's a freedom issue. And Jesus wants us to be free. Jesus was free in that moment to serve and to love because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. That's what John says. All right, I got to keep moving. Next reflection is real love looks like choosing to serve, to serve. Look at verses 12 through 14. You call me Lord and teacher, Jesus said. You call me Lord, that's master. You call me Lord and teacher, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, dot, dot, dot. You know, we, the, one of the big messages of the Gospels is Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to serve. This might be a foreign concept for some of us. I want to be served. I worked hard. I want to be served. But if you read the Gospels, there, there, there's no like, well, it's for some people. It's for the really religious people that serve. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, serving others is our brand. It's the way of life. It's the invitation to living beyond yourself for the sake of others. Living beyond yourself 
for the sake of others. I wonder if you could, if, if, if that, that could come off of your tongue, off of your lips. Living beyond myself for the sake of others. See if you can say that out loud. Living beyond myself for the sake of others. One more time. Living beyond myself for the sake of others. That's the way of Jesus. Mother Teresa said, a life not lived for others is not a life. A life not lived for others is not a life. One of the things I love about my work, my job, my calling, my team, is I get to partner with amazing people. And Casey and I collaborate about the sermon, about the music, about everything, and I was sharing a story with her, and then she, we, we send stuff back, and she sent me this story, and uh, I think it's applicable to what we're talking about this morning, so thank you for sending this to me. The cabbie was an older gentleman who eagerly and quickly engaged me in conversation. During our short talk, I mentioned that I was about to get married soon. Married, he said. So you love her, do you? Yes, sir, I sure do. He paused. He said, well, son, glancing at me in the rearview mirror, you be sure to change that toilet paper before she asks. I turned to gaze at the scenery as it streaked by the window. You bet, I said, as if his comments made all the sense in the world. In reality, I couldn't figure out how he went so quickly from getting married and being in love to doing chores. What was that all about? He seemed to pick up on my disconnect, and he said, I'm serious now. You got to do it. I assured him, all right, you got it. I hope that would be the end of it, but it wasn't. Kid, you don't get it. I lost my marriage. I should have changed the toilet paper. Looking up, I could see him staring at the road in front of us, shaking his head. I'm telling you, he said, talking to himself as much as to me. I'm telling you, it would have made a difference. He was right. I didn't get it. But I remembered that conversation and have been a regular toilet paper changer throughout the course of my marriage. Real love looks like changing the toilet paper, like serving your spouse, your family, your coworkers in the office. I want to read a quote for you, for, for, for you that's really uh, going to rub you the wrong way. Can I do that? You, are, you, are you big enough? You got your big boy pants on right now? It's a quote from Richard Foster. It's so true, I hate it. He writes this, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, 
but it screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. What's he saying? Serving, choosing to serve others is hard in and of itself. But I'm willing to do it if you honor me and notice and say thank you and, you know, an appreciation card and, you know, thanks for being on the setup team and the takedown team and thanks for changing the toilet paper and dot, dot, dot. But when I don't get acknowledged or honored or thanked, that's when he's saying, and that's a spiritual issue. Can I do it? Can I serve without anybody knowing? That's where life is. That's where maturity is. And that's where I have a lot of room to grow. (laughs) And you do too. And so my question is, where might the Lord be calling you to serve today? In hiddenness, without announcing it without getting all resentful because you didn't get a thank you note. I mean, those are important. I'm not saying they're not, but you know what I'm saying. Just sit in that quote. Here's my last reflection, real love. It looks like setting an example for the sake of others. Look at what Jesus said. Since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you what? An example to follow. I have given you an example to follow. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This is my prayer for the church of Jesus, that we would live by example. The world is watching every day. Front row seat, they're watching us at work. They're watching us on social media, how how we respond to stuff. Are we setting the example of sacrifice, humility, forgiveness, choosing to serve? Are we living the life that Jesus says, Do as I have done to you. Follow my example. Can we say to our kids, follow my example? Do you know that your children and my have a front row seat to my life? I have a little, just, it's just, it's a cute video that I saw, and it just was the reminder that whether it be your college roommates, whether it be your children, the people at work, people are watching you and they're watching me, and they're looking for someone to follow. Just notice what you notice in this short little video clip. Just notice it. whether you want to believe it's true or not. People are watching us. 
And the Lord Jesus has commissioned us. It's, it's in the red. You know, people say, read the red, like, oh, the Bible. It's in the red. It's like, here it is. Since I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And what is it? It's not we're going to wash each other's feet. That is the object lesson of sacrifice, of service, of forgiveness, right? This is the object lesson of forgiveness and serving others. It's just so powerful to me. So let me close in prayer. I'll have the band come up. We're going to do something different today. You know, the last several weeks, we've invited people to come forward um, to make a commitment. And I thought about, well, maybe I should have you come forward to commit to, to become this example. But I think we'll have the prayer team that's available for those of you that, that would love to receive prayer today. But I'm going to have you go the other direction. <laughs> Rather than come this way, I, I want you to make a, when you leave church today, when you walk out of this auditorium, to be having that tender heart that says, this is the person I want to be. And, that, and then when you walk out these doors, let's, let's all just go live it. Let's just make a commitment to say, this, this, here it is. This is the blueprint for how I'm supposed to live my life, to treat my family, my friends, people in the church, people at work. This is it. And I can't do it on my own, and you can't either. And so let me pray that the Spirit of God would so fill us and empower us and give us that supernatural ability to live a life like Jesus. So pray with me. Maybe put your hand on your heart. Father, I am so challenged, deeply, deeply challenged and humbled. And I confess that I feel like I am a failure of this life. I have a, a palpable, just almost painful response about chores. And yet this service, this life of living beyond myself for the sake of others, not so I feel good, but for the sake of others, for the benefit of others. Lord, I invite your spirit in your word to do your work in my heart. I need, I need that heart surgery. I want to grow more. I want to think about it less, and I want, to, I want it to become the, the, just the natural outflow of your life in me, that I would choose this life because of Jesus living in me, and his love for me is transforming me and making me more like you, God. And I pray this prayer over every heart. Make us more like you. May, as Casey said, may we die to those things that are getting in the way. May we die to those things that are bringing death into us. And because you love us, may we also say, so will I. I will go love in this way because you have loved us in that way. May we affirm that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this last song as a song of commitment. And then uh, the prayer team will be down here during this song if you want prayer. You got stuff going on in your life that you're like, I, I, I need someone to pray over me. Please come and let us pray for you.
Oh 
And that's our prayer, oh God. You gave your life. You gave your life to love us. And now you send us out to love those right next to us, right in front of us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear to become good listeners. Give us hearts that are humble, tender, Responsive to the nudges and the promptings of the Spirit when you are nudging us to love, to serve, to sacrifice, to forgive, to choose humility. God, we say yes to this life, to this beautiful life. May you use each person in this room to shine brightly the unfailing love of Jesus Christ this week. 
Lord, touch us and transform us from the inside out and then use us as an example. Not better than anybody else, but just a fellow sinner saved by grace, seeking to follow the life giver, Jesus. It's to that end that we say, yes, so will I. In Jesus' name, amen. We like to say God is good. All the time. All the time, all the time, all the time. The worship team, I think, is going to sing maybe one or two more songs. Uh, you're welcome to stay or... You're not welcome to stay and talk out loud and be that loud talker. Let people worship. If you want to talk, let's go out, get some coffee and connect. We love that. But stay in and worship or head out and, uh, and connect. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.